Hello, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. And Scotty and I are continuing to go back and forth in terms of introducing these uh, election episodes. We are continuing our bold effort to interview all of the council candidates here in Guelph, or failing that, as many of them as humanly possible. And we will continue with these efforts this week. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week, there will be five. Five of the council candidates, mostly from even number wards, I jokingly say, but um, hey, we will take them as we get them. So this week... The ones we are taking are Ward 6 is Mark McKinnon, Ward 2's Morgan Dandy, Ward 4's Adrian Salvatore, Ward 6's Ken Yi Chu, and Ward 5's Leanne Caron. So let us proceed. Okay, Mark McKinnon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Uh, I asked this of uh, your current ward mate, so I thought I'd ask it of you as well, um, as we were talking about you posting all these pictures from canvassing. Um, does Ward 6 feel any smaller this time? <laughs> oh, blessedly so, yes. Uh, you know, it's it's not a gigantic area, but the impact of removing uh, that those thousands of houses in the Arkle to Courtright area really does make it feel like it's it's more representative uh, democracy in Guelph that we have a more balanced system. Which, of course, I've been advocating for years, and I'm, I'm glad we now have a system where yes, we're still going to have maybe a little bit more in Ward Six, but it's not the imbalance that it used to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, keeping that in mind, um, and you know. Again, you've put in eight years on council so far, or almost eight years. Um, aside from a little shrinkage, how has Ward 6 changed over, over your tenure? Well, that's, that's a great question. I mean, certainly growth is the obvious answer for that. The amount of intensification during those eight years along the uh, Gordon Street corridor in particular has been massive. Uh, they've almost all been condo units, some of them rentals, some of them um, condos to, to purchase, but the the number of people added to it is is dramatic. And so we have a lot of first time um, people to the city new coming in. Uh, so they don't have the same roots that maybe other areas of Ward 6, like uh, Courtright Hills, for example, the people there have you may have lived there for decades. And we don't have the same kind of roots in a lot of the people that live in the, the new condo development. So I think it's that the refreshing of having a newer ward with a lot of uh, first-time people that come into the city. It seems like a truism, uh, although it's not essentially true, but it's how people think it's true uh, that much of your ward is uh, new folk wealth, if we can coin that term. But um, as we were saying, you know, there have been several thousand people moved into Ward 5 now. Those were like those a lot of those older residents you're talking about, the people who have been there for decades. So this there is and maybe you could agree or disagree uh, a sort of freshness to the electorate this time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Certainly in that area, a lot of them in the the Courtright area uh, have been around for a while. But the but the newer area, McAllister over by Victoria, th- those are new uh, and they're just a few years old. In fact, uh, some of them were onboarding. I remember walking around in the last election and having to bypass some houses that were under construction at the time. So there's still a lot of new people there. But certainly we have in Ward 6, we've lost uh, the legacy people in in a kind of an upscale area that that uh, Courtright I don't know, you can call it Courtright East, I'd almost like Courtright East South uh, is the, the area I describe it. And of course, then there's the Arkle developments as well, and those are newer. But, uh, you know, I think the the current size of Ward 6 is is right, and I know we're going to be growing. And at some point, we'll have to do another Ward Boundary Review when Claire Maltby opens up, of course, but that's, that's mm-hmm. a little ways down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realize that we try to sort of keep the council business separate from the campaign trail, but um, I, I did make note of at this week's planning meeting, um, you kind of, uh, I don't know, you, you kind of addressed uh, some of the people in, in your ward, uh, maybe directly, that growth is something they're going to have to get used to and maybe not taking in, I guess, launching a, a fight against every project um, that comes up, especially the high density projects, is is not something um, productive. Um, and and you know maybe you could speak to that a little. Uh, and, and I'll phrase the question this way: um, Was that a good call? Uh, Forty days before an election. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've I've always governed uh, in my role of council on by what is right, not what's by popular. And so, yes, we, we're the representative of the city. But when we have good planning rationale for a development that we have a staff recommendation, it fits our overall plan, even if the specific zoning isn't in place for it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to support it because we have that need. And I've, I've long been, uh, you know, not afraid to, to tell residents, you know, what they don't want to hear. And that is, yeah, Guelph is going to continue in particular in Ward 6 to get heavier and the traffic is going to get more. So your commute on Gordon Street is going to increase by a minute in the next year, or maybe two minutes. I mean, certainly when I first moved in the South Guelph, it has been maybe three or four minutes longer to go along Gordon Street. Now, is that is that Guelph a saga that people talk about? No, not at all. We are not there. It is a little bit longer, but that intensification and that growth is important because we have to put the people somewhere and the intensification corridors is where should be people should be put. What, what feels right. Just because I have a, a, an awkward feeling about a planning application, that is not a good justification for not approving it. How I feel is not important. What's important is what is good planning rationale. And that particular development on Hamilton's Corner represented everything good about planning rationale, which is why it should be approved. I do wonder, though, um, your, your stirring call for sort of a rational approach. We, we are living in an era of particularly your uh, irrationality, especially when it comes to politics. Um, how has that approach served you so far? I mean, our constituents understanding that, you know, they may hate what's going to go into Hamilton corners, but, you know, they have to live with it unless it's sort of like grossly out of bounds, like the, the proposed days in development. Yeah, and I know that it's easier to be a, a populist po- politician, uh, you know, to kind of coin the phrase that's very popular in the States right now. Um, it's easier to tell people what they want to hear. And people will often say, uh, yeah, I, w- I want a politician that tells me the truth. Uh, I, d- I don't think that's actually the case. I think we would have very different rules if people actually wanted politicians to tell them the absolute truth. What they want is they, as most people, and this isn't just a 
about politics is that most of the time people want to have people reaffirm what they already believe. And my job is not to do that. And yeah, I've been elected twice now. We'll find out if I, if I will get a third term. But I think my job as a counselor is to do the right job, make the right decision. It doesn't matter if it is popular. It doesn't matter if it feels right, if it is a good rational explanation and the, the planning rationale or the, the program rationale, whatever it comes down to, if, if it's the good decision, that's good for the city, good for the residents and good for uh, the community and the environment, then, then it is the right choice, whether or not it's a popular choice or not. And that's something I'm always going to stand for is doing the right thing, not the popular thing. So, I mean, how does that play when you knock on the doors and people go, oh, it's you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly happens. I mean, Niska Bridge as a, as a quick example yeah. of something that, you know, we had to replace the bridge. And if you're going to replace a bridge, it makes sense to make it a bridge that can actually take traffic both going both ways. Now, that wasn't popular with everyone, of course. Uh, and some some electors are absolutely single issue voters. I get that. Some issues are so important to some people that they will make their decisions based solely on that. But as a counselor, I can't be a single issue counselor. I am a multitude issue counselor. I have to look at everything, not just what's good for Ward 6, but what's good for the city as a whole. And that is how I govern. So no doubt there are people that I've talked to that are upset with a council decision, whether it's about something I did support, uh, like a Nesca bridge or uh, an intensification, or it's something that maybe I didn't support, like the, the size of a, of a particular facility uh, or the uh, a particular budget vote. And in the end, I know that every vote I, I cast has been done with research, with integrity. And in the end, as long as I can look at myself and say, I did the right job for the city uh, residents, then I'm satisfied. I still have bed sores from that Nesca bridge meeting, but um... <laughs> I, I wonder if this creates an opportunity um, for you, for anybody who's running for council to come at this with a new approach, like finding that balance between the need to grow. And, and it's something we don't have a lot of say in. It comes, the numbers come from the province and we can bellyache and, and, but they eventually say yes or no. Um, but making sure the neighborhoods feel involved and that the residents feel involved so that it, I guess it doesn't feel like a surprise when something drops in, in their area. Yeah, certainly communication is important. And I think the city does an excellent job on community engagement, uh, posts everything well in advance on websites. There's lots of opportunities to delegate or to write letters to counselors to give your opinion. And a lot of people will think that, you know, oh, my opinion doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it does matter. It doesn't mean it's going to change a council decision, but your input is important. And yeah, it's certainly it's easier to be to, to kind of do and say what residents want. So look, no one wants growth near them. The only reason to ever want growth near you from a residential point of view is if you do not have the commercial developments in your area and you need the, the residential developments to get that commercial. Think of the East End, for example. Until they have a certain number of residential units, they weren't going to get the commercial development. So then you can say, yeah, I want more people living near me so I can get that commercial development. Well, in Ward 6, we have all the commercial developments already. So there is zero benefits to want it to having a high rise or another townhome complex anywhere near me, because all that's going to do is make my life more difficult. And it's mm. easy as a counselor to say, oh, the building's too big. Oh, it's too many levels. Oh, it's too much intensity. Oh, it's too long. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. Because that plays very well with the community in the area to be the anti-growth counselor. It'd be far easier for me to take that position rather than saying, Guelph needs units for people to live. We have a, an affordability issue. We have a, a lack of unit issue, particularly in rental, but also in ownership. And it's, 
the right stance to come uh, and be the pro-growth counselor, given that we don't have a choice. Hey, if it was up to me, we wouldn't have that 208,000 target. We would have zero targets for mandated growth, but it's not up to me. That's the province. And so given that the province has mandated that, the right position is to say, if we're going to have to have growth, let's ensure we get the best growth possible as quickly as possible to ensure that we do it correctly and we do it within the mandates of what our planning act requires. And if you just heard a wolf howl at the moon, it's because Mark brought up the East End grocery store issue, but we will have to leave that there. Um, the most essential question, though, Mark, and it's the last question, uh, where can people find more information about your campaign? Uh, certainly at my website, uh, markforward6.ca. Uh, you can go there. And of course, all my social media accounts, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or you know, go mark forward six is my handle. So yeah, please do engage with me, reach out, uh, and I'd be happy to talk to you there. We're now joined by Morgan Dandy, one of eight remaining candidates vying for a seat in Ward 2 on October 24th. So I know that some listeners may know who you are from around town, but for the benefit of those that might not, can you tell us just a bit about yourself? Well, my name's Morgan Dandy. You may know me as Morgan Hanna or Morgan Dandy Hanna. I am back to my birth name and very proud to be wearing that once again. I've lived in Guelph for about eight or nine years now, and I'm very involved in the community. I enjoy connecting people, and I love to provide service. What was the deciding factor that made you run this time around for council? I got involved with the Greens way back in 2018 because of Mike Schreiner, and over the last number of years have discovered that municipal governance is really where my heart belongs. Being able to provide service to the individuals at the level of government that most affects their lives is very important to me. And I felt that being on city council was the best way for me to be able to continue that on a greater scale than just the individuals that I'm able to meet one-on-one day-to-day. Kind of speaking to that, your tagline is out and about in the community. Now, I assume you've been doing that. What have you been hearing from people in Ward 2 or in general? What's kind of emerging as a, as a theme this time around? I do spend a lot of my time in the downtown, and I've been familiarizing myself with the ward a little bit more, as they are the two newest areas. Plus, I've been speaking with some seniors. There's a lot of seniors. There's a lot of renters in Ward 2. And that's really the reason why I felt that it was important for me to be here. I am a renter. I'm a former homeowner who chooses to rent. So I do have an understanding of both sides. Currently, council does not have anyone there that is a current renter. I believe that it is important to have that diversity of representation where people also understand what it is to be a renter and be on a fixed income. And those are things that are part of my life. So I want to be able to help everyone understand not everybody owns a home. Yeah. And kind of to expand a bit on that, I've heard that you're, I understand you're a a gig worker and most cities in 2022, let's say a bit unforgiving for people who make a living that way. Uh, So in your view, what do you think at the municipal level could be done to improve the lives of gig workers and by extension uh, renters, because I think the two go hand in hand. 
Absolutely. I think one of the best things that the city has done for everyone that is on the lower end of the income scale is to introduce the pilot with a sliding scale for transit. I actually qualify for the incredibly deep discounted bus pass, and I am incredibly grateful for it because it is a big part of how I'm getting around Ward 2 in order to be able to conduct my campaign. Those are the kinds of things that need to happen where the things that help you get to your job, do your job, don't cost as much. And it's just, it's so hard at the municipal level because so many things are geared from either social services, which is taken care of by the county here in Guelph, or it's a provincial level or federal level. So there are a few things that we can do. And the bus pass is one of the best examples I can think of right now. I keep calling it the new Ward 2, but Ward 2 is kind of an interesting slice of town, you know, dividing up the classic ward and it's become this kind of linear arrangement. Do you do you think it'll take some time for that new arrangement to gel? Ward 2 is a really interesting ward because you do have the downtown and the ward, which used to be Ward 1. Them staying together, I think, is really important. There is a big connectivity between the area of the ward on the west side of Victoria and the downtown area. When you get up into the north of Ward 2, they've got a lot of the same issues as Ward 1 does, where there is no bus service. I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to get into the far north in order to do my campaigning there, because there is no bus connectivity. And then you've got the extremely large properties in and around Riverside. Plus, there's all the towers where there's predominantly seniors in that area. It's almost like there's these different sections in Ward 2. And what I am proposing is creating greater connectivity amongst those seemingly different neighborhoods by being out in the community and having office hours at different locations throughout the ward so people can come and visit me. Bringing the downtown and Ward 1 into Ward 2, I think is one of the best realignment things that could have come out of the review. You've said in your materials that you're someone who sees the the big picture. So uh, in relation to Guelph, what do you see as the big picture for this town? We are provincially mandated to grow to 208,000 population and 116 jobs by 2051 in the middle of a climate emergency while facing great inflationary pressures following the pandemic. So that's the big picture. It's about all of the capital projects that need to be done, which includes making sure that we have safe roads. There's so much that goes into it. And when working at a project level, what I've always done is what is the outcome? Where do we want to be? And then work back from there. What do we at, at each step? This is our goal. Well, what needs to happen right before that goal is met? And just keep working it back and working it back. I believe that with the 10-year look at how our budget is formed, And by creating multi-year budgeting, it is going to help us understand how the pieces of the big picture fit together. 
probably the most hot button issue every election, and this relates to what you just said, is the tax rate. So cost of living up, inflation up. Many people feel taxes are too high. What's what's your view on that? Is the projections that are coming out of City Hall just right, too high, too low even? That's a really difficult question. I did follow the budget over the last two years as council went through it. And I still don't have quite enough understanding of how the municipal budget works. The one thing that I do know is the reason that we're where we're at now, as far as the increases, is because things weren't taken care of in a timely fashion in the past. And the other problem that all municipalities face is that growth does not pay for growth. So while we are approving all of these wonderful projects to bring more neighbors into our community and increase the property tax base, those same developments are depleting our ability to maintain infrastructure. And unless we maintain our infrastructure through development charges, it's necessary to raise taxes. Otherwise, the city will fall apart. I hate that that's the reality of things. And that's where we're at. So here's the the magic wand question. If you were elected and you became counselor, what would be your first order of business? What would be top of mind for you as brand new anointed counselor for Ward 2? One of the questionnaires that was sent to counselors asked about the first 100 days. So when I look at the first 100 days, I recognize that as a new counselor, I will absolutely be learning what it is to truly be a counselor. Even though I've been shadowing for the last 30 months, I've never been in an in-camera meeting. So I don't know a lot of the things that a counselor needs to know because I haven't been able to be privy to that information. So learning to be a counselor And a big part of that learning to be a counselor will be getting ready for the budget in January. Those two processes, I believe, will be beneficial for every one of the new counselors that come on and being able to get a good handle on how municipal governance is run. Finally, in in summary, why should voters pick you for their Ward 2 counselor in October? Thank you very much for that question, Scott. I believe that as an individual who is both a renter by choice and a former homeowner, as well as someone whose entire time in Guelph has been within the confines of Ward 2, that I have the ability to listen because I care and I want to connect people. Connecting community is incredibly important. The more that we know about our neighbors, the more that we listen to the trials and tribulations and joys, the better able we will be to work collaboratively and collectively for the betterment of all. So if, if people would like to get in touch with you, find out more about your campaign, how can they do that? I have a website up now. It's dandy Ward 2 That's D-A-N-D-I-E. F-O-R-W-A-R-D, the number two, dot com. I can also be reached by email at dandyforward2 at gmail.com. And on Facebook, it is dandyforward2. 
Okay. So Adrian Salvatore, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Adam. So for people who may not have seen any of your social media posts, uh, you're a fairly young guy, so you would immediately sort of shave 10 or 15 years off the median age of city council. So um, why does um, why, why does someone like you want to take up uh, the, you know, the, the work of city council? Uh, you know, what's kind of your your uh What's in it for you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, um, I love Guelph. I've, I've decided to make Guelph my home. I originally came here for university, uh, did a Bachelor of Computing at UOG, as well as a business cert. And um, like Guelph, Guelph is where I've made my home. I see a lot of opportunity in this community, and I had uh, love to offer myself up as a public servant. So Ward 4 and, and Guelph more broadly can make sure we're seizing those opportunities uh, when our city grows and changes and that we can get the most for all of our community. Speaking as a young person then who's sort of politically inclined, are, are you feeling, have you felt represented by city council, which again, I, I make it, I know only purely as a, a, the situation does skewer a bit older. Um, but I, I guess is as a younger person, are do you feel seen? Do you feel represented in the the, the politics of Guelph? Um, when I when it comes to some key issues, I, I think that there could be more focus. Um, you know, when you're talking about the the twenties, thirties, um, like myself, uh, uh, housing affordability, rental affordability, it's just affordability is a, is a huge huge part of that equation, right? And um, the city has a lot of levers that it can pull when it comes to housing affordability and and the rental supply. So. I see it both as a good way to actually address those concerns and not that those are issues that just affect young people. They affect everybody, but I think they are at the forefront of young people's minds. Mm -hmm. So you said there are levers that, that can be pulled. So, um, you know, based on sort of what you, your understanding, you know, what can city council be doing today that um, maybe it takes an Adrian Salvatore to propose at the council level? Um. First thing would definitely be the draft zoning bylaw. I've been watching that with a lot of close attention, and I think it's it's going the right direction for sure. There's no question that we are moving the right way in terms of making it easier to build sort of uh, some different things that we haven't seen in this community. Right now, we do have a bit of a disparity between, um, and you know, I, this might come up later, white law. That's been mm -hmm. a big one I've been hearing a lot about, um, a disparity between those sort of seven or eight story uh, towers and, and a single family home because our bylaw zoning right now doesn't really allow for too many sort of middle options and and those sort of things provide much needed housing supply they are cheaper uh you know to to get into if you want to buy one of those units they're they're so much more affordable uh we need those sort of things and that the bylaw is doing a lot but there's areas i'd, I'd maybe like to see it even make better considerations and go a little further you've actually made um accessibility walkability you know active transportation um kind of a key plank and um people who listen know that i live in ward four so um this is my backyard and and for that reason i know that uh, you know there are some pretty big barriers that are are creating some of that walkability and not like they're not all necessarily insurmountable and i think you probably have heard about this too uh the big fence line that runs uh, across the train tracks from Elma to um, pretty much the end of town, um, which essentially create uh, cuts the ward in half. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's both the award is cut in half and then it's also divided from the rest of Guelph. Mm. Um, if you're not driving and you want to go downtown, it's, uh, it's tough. I, I mean, I see people all the time walking over the train bridge. Um, myself, I, I like to cycle when I can, you know, go to fixed gear or go downtown or go to an event, whatever, if I can do it, but, uh, crossing over the, the Hanlon on 124, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's, it is little things. I think we can make a really big difference. Um, one of the areas that I've been uh, particularly interested in is along Fife, actually along uh, fifty sixty five, which I know has been in the news for some other reasons. But um, <laughs> there's there's many residents there that have mobility uh, mobility needs, and there's not even so much as a crossing. So I, I spoke to a, a lady in a mobility scooter who can't cross the road directly. There's no way for her to get up. So. She has to get dropped off by the bus uh, down the street on some guy's driveway. And I spoke to him. Thankfully, he's very nice gent and has no problem with it, which is you know great community. But um, <laughs> that that shouldn't be our solution. Uh, right. She shouldn't have to detour 10 minutes to take a 10-minute bus ride. Yeah. And there's still sections of, um, you know, along the, the 20 route where the bus stop is a pole in the ground. There's it's, you know, at the side of the dirt, the dirt side of the road, there's no concrete, there's no sidewalk. Uh, there's no, uh, shelter, no garbage can. It's, uh, it's a pole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I, um, I do like what we're seeing in terms of our transit too. I've been uh, following the, the transit implementation plan or the transit master plan, especially our 10 year changes with a lot of interest. Um, residents out around uh, Curzon Westra area. Right now, I spoke to quite a few families and these are uh, a lot of times it's multi, sorry, multi-generational families living in the same house and mm-hmm. um, they don't have space for everybody to have a car. They have a, maybe a, a person who's not yet driving age and for them to get around right now, it's like 1.2 kilometer walk to get to the bus stop. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm happy when I speak to them and I can go, well, it's already in the books. You know, the transit plan has this covered and in the next few years, you're going to see some stops closer. I would love to advocate to make that even sooner, perhaps, if we can do that. But um, it, it is good that we're moving in the right direction for those things. Another thing I noted on your campaign website is um, you want to make um, modernizing city services a priority. So why is that a campaign issue? It's not one you hear everybody talk about. <laughs> um <laughs> You don't hold a copyright on future ready, do you? Or <laughs> no, that's the. I don't know if the city owns the copyright either, but somebody does. Uh, well, um, that's that's actually my my strong suit, as I see it. Right, my background is all computers and IT. I do software implementation projects both through my workplace regularly and through my company when I do consulting work. So, um, I've spoken to quite a few small business owners who say that our permitting system for them to do contracting work, for them to do whatever they need to do is really, really tough to work with compared to other similar municipalities. So there's that side of it. There's being uh, cooperative to our business partners and being supportive of our small business. Just making things easy and quick is helpful for them. But then also the uh, the other end user, the, the taxpayer who wants to uh, request service or find something. And it's um, most of it can be done or a lot of it can already be done on the website, mm-hmm. but I believe a lot of it's cumbersome. A lot of it could be streamlined and finding out whether you can do it or not and where and how to do it. That's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. So th- there's some, there's some gains to be made there. And I think that that'll help. Well, it will help both with accessibility um, and with keeping costs down for business and just streamlining our city, um, you know, end user experience. 
as an IT professional, how do you grade the city's current sort of digital access? <laughs> if, if you gave it a letter grade? <laughs> well, I, I will definitely, there's a lot of points there to be given because a lot of it is available. Although I know for some of the business side of things, it's like send an email with this filled in PDF to that address. So mm. um, let's, let's go with maybe like a B minus. There's a lot of room to improve. I'd like to get to an A plus. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, there is sort of the, you know, the, the theoretical side of running, you know, reading up on the issues, becoming more involved, more informed. And then there's sort of like the practical side of, you know, when you go out there and you're talking to people who may be not so well informed or people who have very different ideas about what city council should be doing. So how's the, how's that learning curve been for you? Um, I, I see it. There's sort of two classes of issues we're talking about. And that's, that's sort of what you're saying there is mm. there's really the street level issues and and that is it is it's keeping people informed and actually talking about the issues that are on their well on their street but in their neighborhood more directly affecting them and that's i'm really happy to hear about all those um i'm, I'm happy to have learned a lot too when it comes to those things so uh they integrate really really well with this higher level city issues too traffic calming uh you know a lot of residents concerned that their street is becoming a throughway or or is a throughway that is not safe um one of the the nicest things I saw just the other day uh, was over at a, a unit on Deerfield, and it's it's a lot uh, denser in there, mm. uh, very small roads, and you know there's a lot of kids out playing, having a good time, and like I remember doing that, but on on the street where I'm at now, I I wouldn't feel comfortable, uh, mm. you know. So those those little things, but they're they're much broader sort of planning and and higher level issues as well. They really interconnect. So being able to talk to people about that sort of saying where my angle is, how I, th I think we can solve their the issue and making sure that they have, um, like I carry around in my bag um, all the printouts from a lot of city pages on how to request a, a crossing, how to contact this or that department. So I can always just, you know, give them the info right away because I'm, I'm ready, though a lot of those are coming up and it's great. All right. Then this brings us to the most important question of the interview, which is where can people learn more about you or your campaign? Um, I got to say the best way, 226-770-3880. Give me a call. I'm happy to come by. I'm happy to chat on the phone. Of course, the website has a lot of written info as well. And I have been blogging. There's sneak preview. There's quite a few more drafts coming out over the next <laughs> few days. So every time, if I get a frequent question from a lot of people, I make sure to write about it. And then you can kind of find my, my stance or my answer, my thoughts on it uh, in one centralized area. So that's a great way too. So I'm joined by Ken Yi Chu, one of five candidates running for the two seats in Ward 6 in the municipal election on October 24th. But just by a way of a brief introduction, can you tell us a bit about yourself? My name's Ken. I'm running for Ward 6 City Councilor. And if you've seen my website by now, you probably know that I'm an urban designer and University of Guelph alumni. So I came to Guelph about seven years ago to study at, uh, for the of the Bachelor of Landscape Architecture program. Uh, so that was about four years. And I've since been working for about three years now. And I've been working for the city of Brampton and the planning department over there. And in addition as well, I've had some uh, private sector experiences uh, working in Seattle at a multidisciplinary design firm and also for a, a local landscape architecture firm out in Richmond Hill, which did a lot of the parks uh, projects uh, up in Aurora, Richmond Hill, and Markham area. I'm a design professional, and I figured I'd put my hand in the ring for city councillor, uh, 
in particular for Ward 6, uh, not only because I'm a resident, but I feel like this in this time and place in Ward 6, we're experiencing a lot of the devel development pressures that mo most other words uh, aren't typically experiencing. So figured it'd be nice to have a design and uh, planning professional uh, on council to help uh, shape the vision and uh, guidance on a lot of the major development application files. Speaking to that, uh, do you think that Ward 6 could benefit from a bit of a, let's call it a design makeover for a lack of a better word, you know, less classic GTA style and a bit more Paris? Or what, what are your views on that in terms of the way it's evolving? Well, I think we just have to first acknowledge everyone's quite concerned and some people, you know, aren't used to this scale of development that uh, we're experiencing, especially in these last couple of years. And the reality is it's not going to get any better with the new Bill 109 that uh, the province just pushed out. Uh, a lot of the pressures for expediting development is going to be incurred on a lot of uh, our planning staff. You know, the city of Guelph, as it is, has a smaller operating budget than most uh, urban municipalities. And the reality is that we're not a, we're not a small town anymore, but we're an emerging city. And I think just to answer your question, there there is a lot of potential along the Gordon Street corridor, and I and part of my outreach uh, this election cycle is to help get residents and uh, those who are concerned uh, to under to know that development is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think you know with all of us at the decision making table, there's a real opportunity to really sculpt how some of these uh, development files work. Um, and I think it starts with communication. You know, it's an old adage and cliche, but it really starts with us getting to, together and uh, just talking about the issues uh, from a design and context sensitive approach. And uh, if we are able to achieve that for some of the development application files, um, I think there is a lot of room in which we can uh, inform how the design works and also feed into some of the business pro forma that the developers uh, have um, on their end that they have to meet in order to sustain their business. So something that kind of jumps out on your campaign website, and this maybe speaks to what you just said, you have a tagline, Unite Ward 6. So in, in your view, how is Ward 6, I guess, not united right now? And further to that, how would you bring about that unity? Well, that's a great question. And I get that a lot, actually, especially uh, in my last couple campaign events. Uh, we had about 400 people show up. Um, which is incredible. First of all, not a lot of folks don't even realize they're in Ward 6. They kind of identify within their own neighborhood. So whether you're Westminster Woods or Courtright Hills, or Rolling Hills, you kind of like residents usually identify themselves within those peripheries. And because Ward 6 is the largest ward in Guelph, some people don't really understand like the scale of which, you know, all the councillors' responsibilities uh, entail. So I think part of branding my campaign as Unite Ward 6 is to sh uh, help people recognize that we we live in a pretty big and diverse uh, part of the city with a lot of healthy neighborhoods. And the issues that pertain to the South End, they, they do affect uh, Courtright Hills. And we want everyone to feel like they're part of the council makeup. Um, I've heard from a lot of residents as well, uh, particularly in Courtright Hills, that they don't really feel like their issues and concerns are really being addressed because a lot of the uh, development um, activity, for example, is all really relating to the South End uh, just by Clare and Gordon Street. So 
uh, I just wanted to make an effort to you know be more inclusive and really bring people into the fold. And that also ties into my outreach and effort as well to increase the voter turnout this time around. Yeah, as you can imagine, the municipal voter turnout traditionally isn't the best. And uh, the, the last provincial election just kind of gave us a glimpse of what might be, you know, if we don't uh, sincerely go out and um, educate people and bring them into the fold for this election cycle. So I think what last election, municipal election, there was what, 35% of voter turnout, um, which isn't the greatest. And prior to that, we had 40%. So that's a 5% uh, drop already. And I certainly hope that that's not the case this time around. And so that's part of my outreach as well um, for this campaign. Beyond what you've just mentioned there, which was development, I, I know from Twitter and what you said, you've been out and about in Ward 6. Uh, what have you been hearing at the door from people? Is there sort of a theme emerging? Yeah, I think we need better public representation. That you know, That's kind of front and center from everyone that I've heard at the door. A lot of people, they're not, not even aware of who their counselors are, uh, which is quite alarming to me. And you have to understand that I'm not just reaching out to individuals that are uh, in tune with uh, current politics. We have uh, people that have literally just moved in a couple from a couple months ago to maybe one or two years ago. So, yeah, Ward 6 is the fastest growing part of the city. And it's kind of reflective in my conversations because there's still there are people out there that sincerely want to be involved, but they don't know where to start because there's it uh, seems like there's not much engagement that's taking place. And like, I know there's COVID as well that played into people's sentiment uh, with a lack of public engagement, but I definitely think we can be more proactive in uh, reaching out to people. And that's what I've been hearing from most folks. Um, we've held a couple events and consistently they've have individuals have told me, Hey, we, we really appreciate you coming out. It means a lot to us because we, we didn't really know where to, how to get started and how to really get involved in the community, you know, up until this point. What do you think are some of the key direct to student issues and in terms of them being engaged as well, at least on the municipal front? Yeah. So it's extremely difficult to engage with students. I think last election there, there are less than a hundred or so that really voted at the polls uh, at the university. While there are a lot of students that live uh, in the South End, especially on the Gordon Street corridor, um, most of them reside uh, in Ward 5 in the university. So uh, for me, it, the goal to reach out to the university isn't so much to gain, you know, people's uh, or students' votes uh, per se, but it's really an opportunity for me to just show some goodwill to the university students and just show them, hey, uh, you know, if I'm able to get involved, uh, you can as well. And it's not as complicated as you think it is. Um, the issues, you know, you're dealing with people's streets, sidewalks, and things that you can see, right? Uh, there's nothing to just demystify uh, politically in terms of city government. Uh, we all have to work together. It's it's supposed to be nonpartisan and um, in nature. So you can get involved and you can uh, have a say. That's part of what I plan to do. I have a pretty strong social media presence. I tried to uh, make my website as high quality as I could make it, uh, just so information is accessible and easy to communicate. So I think those are the ways in which I'm trying to play a part in reaching out to the student uh, electorate. Assuming that you were elected and that you had 
the power or the ability to shape decision-making, what would be your first kind of personal order of business as a counselor? That's a good question. I think the first order of business would be to uh, reach out to my constituents and, you know, thank them at the door um, and, you know, just try to find a way in which we can establish more direct lines of communication at, at the outset. So I know a lot of candidates or counselor elects and then presumed counselors, they like to set up some town halls and meet with constituents once a month. But then as time goes on, you know, the steam kind of dies down. And, and that's especially uh, with what we've experienced uh, last uh, term of council, COVID didn't do any good, did it? Uh, so yeah, my, my campaign's all about uh, better communication and just shedding light on the issues through my lived experience professionally and just through my upbringings. And uh, I, I, I certainly want to learn from uh, the residents of Ward 6 as well, how we can better shape our city and how we can better inform development um, as one of many key issues. Um, and I certainly want to reach out to the different counselors. I do think there could be more cooperation. Um, and to, and I, I really hope that we can have a more unified council this time around because there are a lot of pressing issues, uh, especially relating to homelessness and affordability that we need to uh, tackle as soon as we can. So, well, thanks for joining us today, Ken. And if uh, people would like to find out more about you and your campaign, how can they get in touch? Uh, I think the best way to reach out would be to find me on social media um, at Ken Yi Chu. And I have my campaign handle as well at Chew for Guelph. Uh, Chew, literally chewing gum chew. And you can also check out my website uh, at chewforguelph.ca. There are a lot of information, even if you don't live in Ward 6, uh, that relates to the election and uh, resources to help you navigate through the issues that um, will be talked about more presently in the next term of council. Okay, so Leanne Caron, thank you so much for joining me today. Great. Thanks, Adam. Always great to have conversations with you. You know the city like the back of your hand, so uh, ask away. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I was asking uh, a fellow incumbent who is a little to the south of you this in one of the interviews we're doing this week. So I'll ask you kind of the reverse question. And that is, uh, because of the ward redistribution, uh, is Ward 5 feeling a bit bigger this election? It does. We have 11,000 households, which I think makes us the second largest ward. Um, ward. In fact, by about a couple hundred, we're larger than Ward 6. Now, it will redistribute over time as growth is happening in Ward 6. Uh, but Ward 5 does definitely feel different. Um, my early campaigning was in the new part of Ward 5 um, with a special flyer just for the new residents of the new boundary. So I'm, I'm hearing different different things at the door. Then I'm going to ask you this, and it is by no means uh, an insult to your longevity as a council member, but you have, this is your fifth term you're running for. Uh, you have uh, four sort of uh, new people uh, who are running against both you and your board mate, uh, the fabulous Miss Downer, and uh, who Kathy also has had a, a long and lengthy career, though she did take a bit of a break from council. So I guess... In terms of um, where you're coming from, what is the appeal of experience versus the appeal of uh, new blood, as it were? Well, 
Well, that's a great question because I still feel young and new in this role because the issues keep changing and the dynamics of, of a growing city keep changing. Uh, so I feel that that uh, I still have something to offer because number one, I have to finish what we started. We were talking about a library in my first term. Uh, <laughs> number two, uh, we have serious challenges facing us. I worry about what the province has in store for us, um, both in planning and development where overriding local planning decisions uh, the new strong mayor's uh, legislation that will reduce democracy. Um, so we need strong, experienced councillors. Also, I've always believed that we need uh, a constant cycle of old and new. Um, that succession planning is part of what I'm going to be doing from four years from now. And if there's a voice in Ward 5 that can represent my values and my issues, I'm happy to, to pass over the reins um, in the next election. I think that's incumbent on any you know um, uh, elected council. Um, but in this particular election, we have a one-third turnover. We have four vacant seats. Uh, and now more than ever, we need that experience on council because one-third of our council is going to be new regardless of what happens in Ward 5. Mm -hmm. And so that mentorship, that passing of the uh, the knowledge um, and allows us to hit the ground running. We can't afford to spend a year uh, training too many new councillors. We need to be able to make uh, decisions and get moving on the business of the city immediately. You may be kind of tap dancing around this, but I mean, they're speaking of the potential new faces on council a lot of those people maybe not a lot but definitely a few of them are running on the idea of um i think a lot of the projects you care about you mentioned the library specifically they um uh have let's let's put it this way they have some doubts um so i guess is are, are you worried about um there being sort of enough of that push pull on council that um staying the course uh pursuing a lot of these projects that you've helped shepherd and a lot of your fellow counselors have helped shepherd versus um, maybe a more reactive bent that, you know, the city's growing too far, too fast, too much, too high, too over budget. Yeah, another great question. Um, there's definitely during the elections, there's an ideological approach to um, issues in the city. Um, there's a lot of data, a lot of research, a lot of um, needs analysis and budgeting and policy direction that have gone behind so many of those decisions. So the, the, the horse is out of the the, the barn, um, not just the horse, the whole stampede's out of the barn. Uh, <laughs> on things like the, the library and the South End Record Center, we have all the data behind that. We've got years, decades of development charges, budgeting, capital budgeting, and we cannot put other projects like the Baker District at risk. Reopening something like the library reopens the entire Baker District um, project. Um, we can't put that at risk because it's tied directly to downtown redevelopment, which is tied directly to our 40% uh, growth in the downtown built up area, which is tied directly to economic development. Uh, it's all interrelated. Um, one issue like the library has so many layers to it. Um, and that's what goes back to experiences. There, there are studies and hundreds and hundreds of pages of, of, of data behind that decision. Uh, and four, five, six terms of council. Um, so yes, an election, it's always a time to talk about those issues, but it has to be an informed conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, part of that conversation, I imagine, and I've given you the honorific of Wealth Heritage Minister, but um, 
And I realize uh, the old reformatory land is not part of your ward. But, you know, heritage is something that always struggles for airtime. And you would think that maybe with that piece of property in particular, it would be maybe a more of a major election issue. Is is that concerning to you? Not really. And heritage um, is not just about aesthetics and pretty buildings. And it's it's not just an emotional issue. And I know I, I have that reputation of maybe being a little stronger on the on the heritage file. But it, again, the complex layers are about economic it's a, uh, development. It is about environmental, the best, uh, the most uh, green building is the building already built. Uh, adaptive reuse uh, has actually been shown to have uh, better return on investment than de demolition and reconstruction. Uh, there's lots of uh, reasons why heritage retention is important for our city, and it isn't just because something you know looks pretty. Um, the innovation district is about balance in my mind. It's about balancing the green spaces and the the wetlands. It's about redeveloping that for uh, a whole range of new purposes to generate jobs and residences and 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 we know about the housing crisis um but take the buildings that have uh, cultural heritage value and find an adaptive reuse for them that fits in with that site. Um, that is all possible in that district. We've called it the Innovation District for a reason. We want it to be net zero. We want it to be sustainable. We want it to integrate into the community in a really positive way. Um, the value of those lands is, is we're right on the cusp of doing something amazing that has the return on investment. And that's the important part of heritage is that, that I voted for demolitions. You know, a good example is the old textile cotton mill at the, the train station, mm -hmm. um, a heritage building that had lots of cultural heritage value. But I voted, again, I voted for demolition because it meant that we got all day two way go. So mm -hmm. it's about balancing. Uh, and that's the approach I take when making those decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that as a jumping off point because the one heritage district that we do have in Guelph is in your ward. Um, and I'm wondering in terms of, and I know Councillor Rourke's talked a lot about this, um, sort of the, the making the south part of Guelph, and now that you're kind of dipping into that area is part of your ward, kind of feeling, making it feel as if it's a part of Guelph and not this like weird appendage we have. Um, is there opportunity uh, in the next term, you know, given that, you know, Ward 5 is bigger now that maybe Ward 5 becomes, I guess, maybe a, a transition area where, you know, we kind of bring the South End more into the, the rest of Guelph. Yeah, I mean, geographically, when you look at Ward 5, we have the downtown on our northern boundary. And we have Ward 6 in the southern agricultural annexed lands from Puslinch from the 1990s on the, on the southern boundary. So, and, and the university smack in the middle mm -hmm. uh, and the Arboretum smack in the middle. So we've got a real diverse um, transition zone uh, and the river. Uh, and the Hanlon Creek uh, Preservation Park area. So there's there's a real um, mix uh, in Ward 5. Um, but Ward 6 has a lot of heritage. Our agricultural history, the farmhouses, some of the, I mean, Arkell Road and Victoria, or Arkell Road and Gordon, we approved a development there last night at council, um, actually predates Guelph. It's called Hamilton Corners and the Hamilton family settled there in the 1830s. Um, that is a settled area. We see it as a new area, but it's actually not. Uh, the village of Arkell predated Guelph. The village of, of Hamilton Corners predated Guelph. Uh, and the early families that settled there um, um, were, were part of a, a, an early uh, heritage that's still there. 
The other part of new Guelph and old Guelph that I think we need to do a better job of recognizing is um, as part of our truth and reconciliation commitment is that those lands predate settlement as well. Mm. And so if we can incorporate in as we're city building, uh, if we can incorporate some of those elements uh, to recognize what was here before us, before Ward 6 or Ward 5 even existed. <laughs> yeah that's something we do uh let's slip our minds a little too mm-hmm. uh conveniently that uh there was people here before uh ward six and ward five and all the wards and all of twelve. so perhaps to finish up the most important question of all is where can people learn more about your campaign uh best place to start is the website uh leanne caron l-e-a-n-n-e-c-a-r-o-n all one word uh dot c-a uh, and I'm available on every social platform, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and uh, uh, email at leanne at word5.ca. And I'm responding to emails daily, uh, requests for signs, um, and just to uh, challenge me, ask me questions. I, uh, <laughs> I I believe everyone should make an informed vote. And uh, I think that's you know foundational to our democracy. And I'm happy to uh, address questions about my past record. Some people think an incumbent that it should be easier. I think it's actually harder because I have a record I have to defend. I'm accountable for everything. Thing I've done in my past terms of council and, and and I'm proud of that record of service. So feel free to reach out to me. So once again, that was Mark McKinnon, Morgan Dandy, Adrian Salvatore, Ken Yi Chu, and Leanne Caron. And come back this time next week, we will have even more candidate guests, people running for Guelph City Council, and we are going to be doing this till the end of the month. But for now, that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you want to stay connected to us at our website, you can go to opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to the show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. You can find Scotty Hertz at Scotty Hertz, H-E-R-T-Z, on Facebook and Twitter, and for all CFRU doings and the full schedule of shows and uh, community appearances as well. Uh, There will be special programming, I think, for the Jazz Festival coming up this weekend. But for all that information, you can go to CFRU.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return, though, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources Guelph. And we will 